I was in Washington, D.C. for the centennial celebration of my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, a public service sorority. You don't have to know much about Delta, but I'll just say this. Membership has its privileges. There are over 300,000 of us across the world. Some members include Cicely Tyson, yeah, Aretha Franklin, Alexis Herman, Keisha Knight Pulliam. You know her as Rudy from The Cosby Show. U.S. Secretary Marsha Fudge, Angela Bassett, the poet Nika Giovanni, Natalie Cole, Roberta Flack, Leotine Price, Soledad O'Brien, Lena Horne, really cool, groundbreaking women. Anywho, thousands of us from all around the world were descending on Washington, D.C. because it's our 100 years. And how cool is it to be alive when the 100-year milestone of something that you belong to actually occurs? The sorority was founded at Howard University. Y'all, I'm a Howard alum. You don't have to go to Howard to be a Delta. But guess what? I did have the honor and distinction to join the sorority while I was at Howard. So that's like double dipping in deliciousness. Those of us that went to Howard and became members of the sorority at Howard take that stuff so seriously. Just imagine if all of the founding fathers of the United States, everybody who signed the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, imagine if all of them were from one city in the United States or went to one college. Can you imagine how all of the alum from that college or everybody born from that city would feel? It would be a little extra collar popping. You know what I'm saying? So I pull myself together. Even though I'm only a year in to this catastrophe of Jocko being dead and Zeddy losing her mind. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth of the matter. That's, you know, anyway, y'all been rolling with me. You know what this podcast is about. I get my hair did. Not done, did. That's another whole level. That means it is colored. I have layers. I have a new haircut because I'm going to be on the scene. And I'm going to show everybody that I'm doing okay. My nails are done. I go to the mall, get me a stylist, people. Hashtag no IG Jeremy. He has since blown up and he's a big deal. I can barely get him on the phone. <laughs> I get outfits. Soros flew in from five other continents. We were celebrating for like five days. There were breakfasts and brunches and pre-parties and after parties and pre-pre-after parties. There were private parties and group parties and public parties. We took over Washington, D.C. And I RSVP to everything. And I had a new outfit for everything. I had flats and I had heels. We are founded on January 13th, 1913. So I had winter clothes and I had layers. Because if I got inside and got hot, what? I had to be able to take everything off so we could strut and stroll. 
If you've seen Beyonce Homecoming, then you know what I mean. If you haven't, go look on YouTube. We were doing all them kind of moves everywhere. And I had to be ready because I'm Jay. And I'm serious about Delta. Y'all, I made it to the pre-parties. But every time I went to stuff, I noticed myself falling further and further back from the center of the crowd where I would normally be, more and more toward the fringes. I started going later to the events and leaving earlier. And the Cinderella affair, if you will, was going to be at midnight on campus, right where our founder stood. Imagine being able to stand where you knew the people who founded the most important organization that you belong to actually stood. We knew exactly where that area of dirt is on campus. And all of us were going to be right there to sing our most sacred songs at the strike of midnight on January 13th, 2013. Like thousands of us. Drones and videos and tears galore. My phone is blowing up, got all these text messages, WhatsApp, everything. I'm in my hotel room, I'm getting dressed, I'm in the mirror, my hands start shaking, I'm putting on lipstick. I'm looking like Angela Bassett in What's Love Got to Do With It. I start crying. Ah, shit. I'm shaking. 10 30, 10 45, 11 15, 11 30. Jay, where are you? Hurry up. Hurry up. It's getting close. We're trying to save a space for you in the circle. Okay, we get in a big circle to sing. Gosh, 11.15, I can't go. I cannot go! Parenting Up, Caregiving Adventures with Comedian Jay Smiles is the intense journey of unexpectedly being fully responsible for the well-being of my mama. For almost a decade, I've been chipping away at the unknown, advocating for her, and pushing Alzheimer's awareness on anyone and anything with a heartbeat. Spoiler alert, I started coming because this stuff is so heavy. Be ready for the jokes. Caregiver newbies, OGs, village members trying to just prop up a caregiver, you are in the right place. Hi, this is Zeddy. I hope you enjoy my daughter's podcast. Is that okay? Today's episode, I look, talk, and walk like me, but I don't feel like me, a caregiver's confusion. I was shocked and confused by my own actions. I cannot stress enough how much that centennial meant to me. From the moment I became a Delta, the thought of being at the centennial on campus. I have to share with you all, I'm a moment kind of chick to be in the throes of the crowd when the roar happens, if it's at a concert, if it's at a sporting event, any of that. I always choose to be in the crowd versus the VIP or the skybox. In 2008, I was in Denver as a part of Alabama's delegation for the Democratic National Convention. 
I was a part of a group that was assisting the King family, Martin Luther King Jr.'s family. I will not get into the specifics, but needless to say, I had access to a big fancy box. I squirmed my way down to the floor so that I could be amongst the crowd of what they would call the regular people, the common people, stomping all around outside to feel the revelry, the heartbeat, the screams, and the cheers when then-Senator Barack Obama gave his speech. That's the kind of person I am. Listen, a VIP box, red carpet affair, absolutely has its place in Jay Smile's life. What I'm saying is, if there's an historic moment, put me outside with the people. Zeddy's a Delta. This thing runs deep. Obviously, I didn't take Zeddy with me, but being there for her, the sentimental value of that mattered to me. I paid for it. <laughs> All these outfits I paid for. I charged my digital devices, my camera, my night flash, my GoPro. I was ready. And so many sorors that I had not seen at these individual events. We're going to see everybody on the yard, which is what we call the big grassy area on campus where everybody would gather. How the hell could I miss that? That's like the place to be. All of the separate stuff didn't really matter. That's like going to the tailgate, but you don't take your ass to the game. And the text messages and the phone calls, I couldn't answer them. I didn't know what to say. The hotel phone was ringing, cell phone was ringing, and I'm getting emails, WhatsApp messages. At this point, people are worried about me. On the one hand, I understand that they're worried, but I was so broken. I was crying. I mean, that snotty cry where you can't really read anything because tears are flowing that fast and furious. You try to wipe your eyes and you're like, is that snot or is that a tear? I recall thinking, girl, you are a mess. It's been a year. Pull yourself together. How damn long do you need? Shit. A major life tenet for Jay has always been, if you cannot do it later, you got to push all in right now. Zeddy and I have always lived by it. If it's a difficult decision to make, which one can you not do it later? Duh, I cannot be alive for the third centennial. I mean, <laughs> the second centennial, the double tennial. I don't know what that is. The bicentennial, the bicentennial. I'm not going to be around for that. You can't do that next year. It's over. So then I was laying there beating myself up like, idiot, how the hell can you not make this? And then I go through the whole, see there, you shouldn't have gone to all other pre-stuff, Jay. Pre this, pre that, brunch, hanging out. You wore yourself out. You're doing too much. Hashtag team do too much. 
You should have just gone to the major celebration on the yard at the strike of midnight. That's the big thing where everybody's going to be with the big major drone photo that's going to go viral. And your monkey behind is <laughs> at the hotel. Duh. When I tell you I did not see that coming, so serious. Didn't see it. No part of it. While I had been depressed before, I had definitely faced emotional walls, trauma, calamity. I didn't see that. I was like, man, this is going to be all positive. Nothing had gone wrong on that trip. All my outfits fit. Okay. I was looking amazing. My hair was doing what it was supposed to. My girl, hair is she, Portia, also hot popping. She did her stuff. She gave me all the hair products and told me how to make it last. It was the winter, so I wasn't having a deal with any humidity, snatchback fight from my curl pattern. I was wearing my hair flat ironed at the time. Everything was going great. My liver had not decided to punch me in the face. Like literally it was only an emotional monster that decided in the mirror, no, Jay, what you're not about to do is go and spend all night in a sea of love. Like what's wrong with a sea of love? Like how can I not go <laughs> and be in thousands of arms of love. This is going to fuel me for weeks and months and years to come. That's what I thought before I got to DC. I'm like, right, if I get this, sores are going to lift me and pour into my buckets. And in difficult nights with Zeddy and caregiving, blah, 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 I'm going to be able to remember this moment. When we sang our songs and did our steps, I'm like, crazy girl, you're not even there. To embrace the moment. But y'all, that's just how raw I was. And I didn't even know it. That experience led me to coin the expression burned victim with my closest friends. Because I needed a way to explain to them when I was not emotionally capable of being around people even in a fully positive, loving environment. I am speaking of a burn victim in an emotional, figurative sense. I am not a burn victim in a literal sense. I am very sensitive to the difference. Individuals who have had to undergo that extreme physical, emotional distress I am not in any way comparing my experience to that. I was desperate. I needed a phrase that was very tactile, had a lot of texture, and everybody would immediately grasp what I meant. You know how individuals who participate in aggressive sex, the kind of maneuver that could kill you, and they have a safe word, that's how I ended up coming up with burn victim. 
I knew that folks would be there with me immediately and understand why I went ghost and how come I had to check out on them. Because they were upset. Once they realized that I was actually physically okay, like my Uber didn't get a flat tire or I didn't have food poisoning, and they would felt like I made a choice not to come. So it was, what? We can't believe you missed it. Like, we needed you here, Jay. Our group wasn't complete. That was the inference that I got from some people. And I was trying to say, I'm not complete. The universe gave me the language of I'm a burn victim. As if, hey, I jumped out here in this air thinking I could just run around and act normal. And I played myself. (laughs) I got out here. And while I have this new skin on my body, it's still real tender. And it can't have sunlight on it yet. It's brand new skin. It's not tough yet. You can't touch it. I don't want a hug. I don't want you to put lotion on it. Because how do you explain to somebody, you can't love on me too hard? You know, I'm a hugger. I'm trying to tell my sorors that y'all were loving on me too much. I was trying to explain to my sorors how the pre-engagements let me know that I wasn't ready for thousands of people and all that love in one place. But how weird is that? I knew that's where I was. I was just that raw in the newness of my caregiver responsibility because how the hell did I end up here? You know what I mean? Like I'm all the way responsible for this lady, Zeddy. Like if I mess up, she could die. Who left me in charge of her? Somebody needs to come be in charge of me. So if I get her medicine wrong, she could check out of here. If I don't feed her the right stuff, what? I'm sorry. Are you telling me nobody is going to come and make sure that I am of sound mind, at least on a monthly basis? That's not smart. I felt busted and bruised, and I had not been aware of my state. And that's what I want caregivers to think about. And I want those who are supporting caregivers to be aware of. When a caregiver gets thrust into this world, initially, it's very likely that you just show up to work. You didn't apply for the job, (laughs) but all of a sudden, boom, there you are at work. Reporting to duty, here I am, and then you're in it. And you may not realize that you are two seconds from a breakdown, but something happens. You have your own version of the centennial in D.C. where you realize, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not okay. I've been dotting I's and crossing T's and executing, but I don't even recognize myself. And when that does happen, then those around you need to immediately shut up and listen. And just because I might have seemed okay right up until that point, all right, I'm not okay now, and I know it. And so 
I'm saying I'm a burn victim. That became my buzzword for my crew to let them know I was in that space that was exceedingly fragile. I didn't want their love. I didn't want their attention. I wanted to be left alone because I was so overwhelmed with my responsibility and the newness of my life. I just need you just to back up for a second. You can send a text message. You could send a box of chocolates. But don't ask me to respond and definitely don't get offended and don't come for me if I don't say thank you or text back. When I was unable to show up for what was undoubtedly the most guaranteed, enormous love fest that had ever happened in my life, the strike of midnight on Howard's campus for our centennial, that let me know, Jay, you're not in a groove yet, sweetheart, with this being a caregiver and managing daily emotions of life. You have to figure out how to balance the inputs and the outputs outside of Zeddy. Y'all, <laughs> when I got back to Atlanta, Everything and everybody felt overwhelming and too loud. Anybody, everybody. Oh, God. I mean, they probably were whispering, but it sounded like I was at a Rolling Stones concert back in 1972 when Mick Jagger was giving it everything he had. You know what I'm saying? People who care for me greatly wanted to get me out of the rut. All kind of suggestions. Jay, let's go shopping. You're going to feel better. You need a vacation, a real vacation. See, going up there to hang out with the Deltas, that wasn't a vacation because you were very active. You had to get dressed. You were going to all these events. You were hanging out. You were partying. You need to just go to a beach and sit around and do nothing. Hey, let's go out for drinks. You need to have your favorite drink. That'll calm you down. You'll do a lot better then. Oh, no, no, I got it, Jay. Now, these are all different people suggesting what's going to bring me out of my rut. I got it, Jay. You got to go out dancing. You know you love to dance. When's the last time you've been out dancing? I can't remember. If you can't remember, then it's been too long. You got to start living, Jay. It's been over a year. Zeddy would not want you living like this. She would not want you giving up this much of everything for her. Parenting up family, this is where I'm going to tell you that if you have kids in a room with people who don't like cursing, you might want to either mute their ears or pause for a second. I'm going to do a countdown. Three, two, one. This was my thoughts on that last little diatribe. First of all, that was all unwanted advice. I did not come back from D.C. and ask anybody to help me get out of my rut. When I got back from D.C., I realized, uh-oh, I moved too quickly. I wasn't ready for all I tried to do. Okay, Jay, I got it. Cool, sweetheart. You know what I mean? Like, you Thought you were putting your toe in the water. Obviously, you jumped in the deep end. 
no problem. Just get to the side, get your ass out the pool, and sit down. Man, everybody who offered some unwanted advice, this is what I thought. Excuse you, my fucking daddy dropped dead, and my mama's mind walked away from her. And all that happened in an little bit of time. I've never been in this pradinky winky. So how do you know what I need? And sometimes, shit, I want to be lonely, Uber driver. <laughs> Yo, everybody around me was offering advice. The Uber driver, the lady at the Target checkout line, Bank of America, everybody was like, you know, how you... Ma'am, are you okay? How you looking? I'd be like, oh, no, I was just having a tough time. My dad passed recently and my mom's caregiver. Everybody want to jump into advice. I ain't asked for no advice. I, first of all, I need you to hush and just ask me paper or plastic. Regular language resumed. Parenting up family, I had been faking the funk. That's really what I figured out. My life was so insulated. And had become so protected that I didn't realize how green my emotions still were. I had only been handling my father's estate, Zeddy's medical needs, trying to figure out how to be a caregiver. And so then when I went to D.C., let me tell you what that effectively did. All of a sudden, I was around a thump of people, which is the same as a gaggle, which means Hundreds <laughs> who knew pre-caregiver Jay. They approached me and expected me to engage and act the way I did before I was a caregiver. And I didn't want to talk about being a caregiver. I was too new to it. I didn't have the language and I didn't want to. I didn't have, when I say I didn't have the language, how do I say that? Okay. I didn't have the language to talk about being a caregiver concisely. And I wasn't comfortable enough in my role to talk about it without bursting into tears with how it happened, how abruptly my mom had succumbed to the disease. Externally, I appreciated the fact that I was plucked into this environment I was just Jay and they treated me like OJ. That sounded too much like OJ, like OJ Simpson. So I'm going to do that over. I appreciated that I was in this environment where I didn't have to talk about the sadness of my life. So I thought, but caregivers, especially my newbies, this is the deal. Once you're in it, it's a part of you. I was thinking, how great is this? I'm just hanging out with my friends from college and Soros that I have met since then, and we are catching up. We're celebrating. And I'm not talking about being a caregiver. I'm not talking about any of the responsibilities and heaviness and darkness of my life. Yay! I've escaped for a few days. But truthfully, I was living a lie. It wasn't a work conference. It was a very social, very personal, very tight-knit 
group of women who knew me well, knew my mom, knew my dad. That's why it was a lie. And by the time I was supposed to meet everybody on the yard, basically, I turned into a pumpkin and the slipper didn't fit. And I was unable to meet it because I had not been true to what my life was and I didn't have the language to explain it. I didn't lie on purpose. I didn't even realize what the hell was going on. (laughs) You know what I mean? They didn't know to ask. No one knew that my mom had Alzheimer's. Individuals knew that my father passed. Absolutely. A ton of Soros said, hey, Jay, so sorry to hear about your dad. They gave me a hug and I said, thank you so much. I didn't double down with, girl, let me tell you what else happened. I wasn't speaking about my mother. And I talk about why I didn't do that in episodes two and three. So you all know about that. But it was a mess. The metamorphosis within started without me. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? The spiritual shift was doing its own thing. Thank goodness it was. So happy it did not wait on me. Apparently, I was new. Yay. And shouldn't I be? And for the family and friends that needed me to be the same way, they eventually caught on. And the ones that didn't, I'm not as close to them anymore. And that's just fine, too. I'm not the previous me. I'm also not the me from junior high or high school. And I shouldn't be her either. (laughs) Right? I've lived longer. I've learned more. Thank goodness I've grown past that chick. I mean, she was all right, but Lord, she definitely had limitations. Caregivers. We have to know our own limits. Nobody else is going to learn that for us. And nobody else is going to protect us. That's a big deal. Of course, we are protecting our LOs. We know their medications, their sleep schedule, doctor's appointments, rehabilitation, exercise, so on and so forth. But whether you need a vacation on the beach or a long time to read a book or if you need to go out with friends and have a glass of wine, you know the difference. And if you don't know the difference yet, I strongly encourage you to check in with yourself and learn the difference. What kind of break do you need? Rejuvenation can come in so many forms. I thought going to the centennial would rejuvenate me overnight. Like it would catapult me to the stars and boom, I would be back to Jay. It actually took me backwards. It was too much too fast. I almost overdosed on goodness. And who who the hell would have thought you could have too much goodness? But that is just how raw and crazy The world of being a caregiver is. That's my perspective. I told y'all I would keep it honest and I would just share with you my journey. After that happened, I said, well, hell, if I 
took a L, L equals loss. From too much love, I have to be careful when something is too heavy. There have been multiple times where I actually had to take a step back when people that I love were experiencing death in their family. And that hurt. It hurt me to say. Because prior to becoming a caregiver, I was that chick. I was the crisis chick. Everybody knew it. Call Jay. She knows what to do. I actually designed funeral programs. I told y'all I have a PhD in hospitalization. I mean, it's self-appointed, but I know how to do that. I know how to do doctors and hospitals. I know how to do funerals. I can't sing, though. There have been people that I'm extraordinarily close to that I was like, I can't come to the funeral. I cannot help with the program. I cannot even help in the hospice and the decline of your loved one. I can't, I, you know what? Don't call me. I used to be the chick that said, hey, call me at any time. Two, three, four in the morning, doesn't matter. I'm also a night owl. I can function on two, three, four hours of sleep. So, hey, if you are struggling overnight because your loved one is just having a tough night or if you are just falling apart because you know that your mom or your husband or your child, your best friend, they're suffering and they may not be here long, just call me. I'll just sleep on the phone with you. I will sleep while you're crying. I'm that chick, and I've been her for decades. Not anymore. As a caregiver that time, I'm like, yeah, you know what I mean? Ooh, I sure hope you find somebody because I ain't her. Sometimes I can. Sometimes I can't. And that feels trippy too, right? This week, Paula might call me and, and say, hey, Jay, I need to talk to you. Boom, boom, boom. I'm having this problem, you know, about my mom. Y'all, I might be able to go all in with Paula. Me and Paula might be able to chat for six hours. I can give her everything. And maybe I ain't even talked to Paula for a damn year. But she catch me at a time when I'm full and I have the energy. Two weeks later, one of my favorite cousins could call me. And I'm like, yeah, I ain't got it. That kind of fluctuation that used to make me feel like I was fickle. And not being a good person. I was like, tag me, Jay. You got to do better than this. Like, you can't. Like, this isn't right. I mean, Paula's cool, but, like, that's your favorite cousin. How you going to give Paula more than you gave your favorite cousin, right? And then you're like, ah. So now I'm pushing myself to give my cousin more than I have. And then I mess around. And then the next day, I'm not able to give Zeddy what she needs. And then I end up hitting the wall, and then I got a migraine. I'm just saying how fast stuff can unravel as a caregiver if you are not aware of your own parameters, your own emotional parameters. And who gives a flip if they make sense to other people? They're your parameters. It's your life. It's you and your loved one. Besides that, let me tell you something else. Lean in. This is a secret. Stop telling people how much you did for Paula versus how much you did for your cousin. If you don't tell nobody, then people can't be keeping score on who got what. 
I had to figure that out the hard way too. So now I just tell everybody, yeah, I don't have energy to do nothing for anybody except Zeddy. So that way nobody's trying to figure out where they fall on your priority list. Isn't that a mess? Grown people trying to figure out where they are on the list. Zeddy is my whole list. Zeddy is the whole freaking list. There is no more list. The whole list is Zeddy. <laughs> Crazy people. Once I became a caregiver, anytime I tried to lean into pre-caregiver Jay and meet those expectations of others, those emotional intellectual, spiritual, physical expectations of what I used to be, it never worked out. I mean, never. I didn't want to tell them, well, you know, I can't do that because I'm a caregiver now and let me run the list of how my life has changed. Because then you have to hear the people say, oh, man, you talking about that again? Right? Some version of Jay is not fun anymore or... She's always talking about being a caregiver or is she complaining again? Well, she doesn't have to be her mama's caregiver. She could just put her in a facility. And then I want to pop them in the mouth. And who wants to pop people in the mouth? I don't want to walk around popping people in the mouth. That's no fun. (laughs) So what I found the easiest thing to do is be the new me. I'm a new me. I've been a new version of me evolving pretty much my entire life. So now this is just a new me. And caregiver is the most prominent hat that I wear. And if you're not cool with it, then we not cool either. Yeah. The snuggle up number one. Determine your lingo. What's that phrase that lets your caregiver crew know when you are having a fragile moment? That limit where you're emotional barometer is at the edge number two determine your parameters by actually going out and living life you gotta try some things shake it up a little bit yep you might end up having your own version of a burn victim experience like i did with centennial but i'm sure happy that i tried it don't allow fear of failure or embarrassment or rejection to make you not try. Get out there. You're worth it. Number three, many experts warn caregivers about grieving our loved ones while they're still alive. It's a natural process because we see them, that long, slow death. But recognize that we actually watch ourselves change a ton we become caregivers give yourself that grace as well number four join me every monday night for a video broadcast a podcast it's a video podcast it's all about caregiving but a completely different topic than we have here same title parenting up in partnership with getvocal.com Follow us on social media. Parenting Up has a presence on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram with unique caregiving content. 
That's it for now. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe for continuous caregiving tips, tricks, trends, and truth. Pretty, pretty, please, with sugar on top. Share and review it, too. I'm a comedian. Alzheimer's is heavy, but we ain't got to be.